Hello and welcome back to the Game Bet Match podcast. I'm your host, uh, Manny Friedman, along with my co-host. Brad Sloan. And a special guest that we have, uh, Mr. Mr. John Reed. Welcome. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's nice to get uh, tennis going again. I mean, United Cup's back, but it's not really bracket. It's not a bracketed tournament, right? So it, it's not the same thing. Uh, I, I'm watching it because I mean, we have tennis back. Of course I'm watching it. But uh, oh, yeah. but I'm excited to get to get going with Brisbane, Hong Kong, and for me, Auckland as well. But I know that that that's not out of interest to you guys. So we'll, <laughs> well, I'll people are getting <laughs> people are getting excited for Australian Open. Like there's so much tennis to be played before then. So um, I, I don't think these events can go unnoticed, and I think we got to talk about them. So uh, let let's let's get right into it. Um, so the Brisbane draw just came out. Um, so we are not going like we don't unfortunately we don't have any like futures and stuff like that, but we're going to break down the draw and we're kind of going to play guess the lines. And then based on where we think the line should be, I think that's kind of where we're going to see the value when we when the opening lines come out. So uh, that's how we're going to kind of format this pod. Um, so uh, let's go over the draw here. I guess before oh, we go over the draw, the tournament right. itself, right? It's a yeah. quick hardcore tournament. Um, or I imagine it's a quick hardcore tournament. Another one of these Australian terms, they tend to play a little, I think, on the quicker side. Um, do they have, is this is this all outdoors or do they have an indoor? Do, do one of you guys know? This used to, this used to be a United Cup venue. Uh, I believe it's all outdoor, but I could be wrong. Yeah, they haven't had the event since 2019, um, so I don't know if there's. I don't have any like data on it. I, I I don't. I honestly don't remember offhand if it's. Um... You know, John. Oh, Pat Rafter Arena has like a. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's not really a roof, if you will. I'm trying to look at a picture right now on my phone. Um, I don't know if it's if it's considered it covers, but they have. I think it's the. Yeah, they do have something that covers the arena i don't know if it prevents rain from getting down or not or if it's like a simulated like if you can see the sky through it so i don't know what exactly it is but i believe they might be able to play in the rain i just don't know if they're starting because they didn't start tonight but i don't know if qualifying matches are taking place yeah, on the main arena, the so. main arena has a roof i'm looking it up now yeah there so. you go. okay i knew it was a funky thing though it made it, it might be adelaide too that has they both have like quirky uh, courts. So I was trying to remember which tournament, but uh, it looks like Pat Raftarina does have some some sort of coverage. And um, there's one other thing too before uh, before the draw talk. Yep. Um, I just wanted to say you talked about we just got the draw tonight. Mm-hmm. Main draw starts Sunday uh, there, therefore Saturday night where we are. We're all in the Eastern Time Zone. Yep. This is one thing I can't stand about tennis. Like, get with the times, people. This is the age of content. Forget the bet. Forget betters. T- there are a ton of YouTube channels coming up as well that are just regular tennis talk. Mm-hmm. You live in the age of content creation. It is free marketing when you get YouTube channels that are all starting to grow and get, you know, I just saw talking tennis today up near 5,000 subscribers. You're, they want to talk about, people want to talk about these things. If you release your draw three, four days in advance, like slams do, that creates buzz. That creates something to talk about. People are going to, you know, YouTube channels will be talking about your sport free of charge to you, by the way. It's free marketing. It's free attention if it, if they start, if they grow bigger. But we can't do that. Now, I don't know if it's because of the withdrawal policy and who gets in, whether it's a lucky loser, whether it's, I know that. Change the damn rules. Update your rules and your policies to those of, of, 
a tour in the content, the age of content creation. Help your content creators help you for free. Get that yeah. draw. Why is this draw coming out on a Saturday in Brisbane when the main draw starts on a Sunday? Come I on, honestly could not, could, could not agree more. And that's not just for betting. Like, I don't need more time to place my bets. I just want to see it. Like, it, I look forward to the draw coming out and just, like, being able to talk about it, you know? I, it, it's more time that people can spend talking about it, right? That That's what I would say is, like, it's really frustrating as a as a fan that, like, especially, it, it, like, if you're a content creator, you have such limited windows that, like, if, if you can't make your window, you miss your window. I mean, that happened to Manny and I on several occasions where it's like, hey, this day doesn't work. Okay, boom, you lost your preview show because literally you had one day or two days you could do your preview show. Yeah, it's it's betting, not betting. It's it's awful. And, and I think the withdrawal point is silly because, like, we see guys withdraw anyways. We see guys withdraw the day before. Like, we see with guys guys withdraw during the event. Guy, If a guy buys in the first round, we'll see guys withdraw after the first round. So, like, I think the whole withdrawal point is is – Yep. Like that's gonna happen anyways. I think, yeah, I don't I don't know what it I don't I don't think there's any like like I don't even know what the explanation would be for this. <laughs> well, overall, <laughs> I mean, Brad and I have discussed this on numerous occasions. Like tennis does a terrible job of marketing its product, like beyond the draws, like it besides three players, basically Djokovic and Alcaraz, maybe and and I guess Sinner to an extent, like does any person on the street know who Holger Rune is like, you know, like average person, like he's the eighth best tennis player in the world, you know? Yeah. So, and you know, when you go to the U S open, people are not there to watch tennis. They're just there to like be part of an event. You know, they're not tennis fans, you know, that's why I, I don't like going as much because it's not an educated group. And I, I want that's a focus on being a content creator. I want to educate people on, on how great this sport is. So I, I couldn't agree more. hundred percent, hundred percent. We're all on the same page. Um, all right. So, uh, any, any other thoughts before we get to the draw? Nope. All right. Uh, in terms of, in terms of the, uh, they're just going over the weather. It looks like it's, uh, in the around 80 all week. Um, like chance of rain every day, like slight chance of rain, you know, something between like 20 and 50%. So yeah. they might need, I'm guessing they'll need that roof for parts. Um, but you might see a little bit of hold up the first few days. Um, uh, but overall, I don't know if the weather's gonna have a huge impact here, but I thought it was worth mentioning. It's probably gonna be humid, right? If they're, they're expecting rain. Yeah, yeah, solid, yeah, humidity in the 70 to 80 percent, so pretty humid. Okay. So that might slow conditions slightly. Yeah, slightly. and yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. All right we uh, can get to draw talk now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> all right, so uh here we go. So um, the top half of the draw, we got uh, Holger Rune against uh, Max Purcell. Then we got Luca Van Ash and Alex Shevchenko, JJ Wolf against a qualifier, and then Yannick Hoffman against uh, Sebi Korda. So that's the uh, opening quarter. Um, who would you say like would be the favorite to win this quarter? And what price would it be? I mean, it probably be Holger, but I wonder what price you would get on that. Oh, I, I do they, I'm not sure if they're going to spread quarter prices for 250. I think they do. Um, I'm not a big outright guy. Like I'm not as good with them. I would say people who have followed my bets will probably know that I, I 
will call myself relatively sharp when it comes to individual matches. Outrights, I can admit, like, I'm not the best outright better. Um, maybe it's because there is so much more hold in those markets too. So it is much tougher to beat them, but I've seen people that can, uh, assess them and hit, uh, longer odd stuff more than I do. So I will be the first one to say I'm not the best. I know that's rare in this community. Everyone's the best at everything all the time. <laughs> buy my picks package, but no, I'm not the best without rights. So, uh, this is the one place where like guessing the lines is not going to be my forte, Okay, but I can say, I'll say one thing. Though. Yeah. Yes. Holger will be the favorite to win the quarter. I would think. And Sebi will be second. Um, in the price in the prices but i'm really excited to see that price on shevchenko van ash i find van ash a little overrated i am out on him as a top 100 player i just I don't think the weaponry is there to keep him there shevchenko is the other way around i think he's got the weapons to stay in that top i don't know if he stays top 50 that was a bit of a a bit of a jump last year but he stays top 75 this year uh, and then max personal against holger runa some time off after a rough end of the year for max He's got a fun game. He's got the Aussie crowd behind him. That serve on these courts is going to work. Hopefully, I would think would work wonders. I'm interested to see uh, a couple of these prices in this first quarter on individual matches. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I think there might be some value on Shepchenko here. Um, I like what I saw from him at the end of the year. Um, that He had the kind of crazy run in Basel, right? Where he nearly beat FAA. Um I don't know. It might be worth a sprinkle if I get like 10 to one to win the quarter. Uh, but, you know, he'd have to be Holger Rune and Korda to win that quarter. So I would need at least 10 to one. Uh, no way I'm hitting it lower than that. Um, Korda. I don't know. He had a good start to last year. So I don't know. You know, does that it does he become like the the new RBA per se, like where he just like plays really well in January and then kind of tails off later in the year. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I do think these conditions favor him, um, Corda. Um, I just, I got to see, I, I think Rune is trying to make that next step. Didn't he hire someone else in his coaching team? He hired, um, I know Boris Becker is in his coaching team now, and he hired another big name as well. So Someone uh, that worked with Fed, I think. Yeah, Severin Luthi, right. That's right. So he's definitely trying to make that next step, but I got to see something, see, see it to believe it with him. Um, but I, I think you're going to get like minus 150 for him to win this quarter. And I, I don't think there's uh, any value on that. So uh, what are your thoughts on this quarter? I actually think it's a pretty tough quarter, to be honest, for a two. So I, I, a couple of guys that are worth mentioning. Um, so we talked, you guys talked about Purcell and how you like his game. I think it's also worth mentioning with him. He was hurt for a good part of last year between, I think, I think he got hurt twice, uh, at least once, if not twice. And so it, as good as his results were, he probably was even a little bit better than that because he lost several matches when, you know, when he was injured. Um, Shevchenko is a guy who I thought, you know, kind of, man, I'll, I'll go with one of your takes kind of from an eye test perspective. I thought he looked like he matured a little bit the last maybe month or so of last season. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I thought that that was relevant because I thought, I think he's a guy who's got a lot of talent, um, but uh, sometimes all over the, is a little all over the place mentally. Um, Ford is another guy who I think had several different injury issues and fitness issues throughout the year. Um, so that, that's another guy to talk about. Um, and then, I mean, for what it's worth, Wolf had a decent run last year in the Australian Open. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was more just draw, more just draw. I mean, he beat Thompson, Schwartzman, and an ML. Not sure if that was more just draw, um, or if that was something about the quick courts in Australia working for him. But those are my thoughts on a few guys. Um, in terms of betting, I mean, it's so hard to to, to do this without any kind of of price. Um, I think Quarter's an interesting guy, depending on what the price is for a, a second favorite. Um, but and I think, yeah, I think Purcell could be kind of interesting too. So those are my thoughts. Oh, really? What what price would you need on Purcell to take him to win the quarter? It's like okay, if he's like plus three hundred to beat Rune or plus four hundred, you know, like I mean something big, right? 20, like, like probably like, at least three. fifteen to one, twenty to one, maybe. Higher than that, yeah. He'll be higher. if he's going to be where I'd expect in that five dollar range, aka plus four hundred. Um, I would expect I would expect him to be at least 25, 30, 40 to win with the quarter. Anything less, I mean, you may as well just roll it over. Because I would think he'd also be a dog or a pick to Shevchenko. Pick him at, at best. And that's still going to double your, whatever your profits are on your plus 500, right? Uh, then, you know, you're going to double there and then you're going to get an underdog price against Sebastian Corda. So, I mean, you're looking at at least, at the very least, I would think, thir- 25, 30 to one is where you would be looking, if you like it, You'd be wanting at least that price to uh, make it better than a rollover. Now, the, the tough part of the rollover is quarter doesn't get there. If he's upset by Wolf or Hoffman, that kind of hurts your 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 final price, right? When you get through all three wagers, so that's the that's the advantage of an outright like that. Maybe taking a dollar or two, three dollars, four dollars lower. I'm personally down on Wolf. I I don't know. I I think he's kind of maxed out. I don't see like where he can really improve per se. I think he needs to get fitter. I think he needs to get better at net um, to make that step. But like, I think he's due for some regression. I, I think he's like more a seven rank, like 70, 80 guy than a 50 guy. But that's just, that's just me. Um, I guess like we could talk since we're talking so much about these guys, like um, I think uh, the first match, Rune and Purcell, is actually a, a pretty tough matchup for Rune. Granted, like he's playing an Aussie at home, you know that's probably a night match. Like that's a pretty tough way to start the season. Purcell also isn't going to give him rhythm. Um, I, if I get four to one, I'm going to hit. I'm going to probably sprinkle half a unit on the money line, on the Purcell money line. But I don't know. Well, I mean, I, what price would you need, Manny, on that? Because I mean, you, you should get at least plus three hundred, plus four hundred, right? I would need four hundred. But if I get that, I'm going to sprinkle half a unit and probably play the plus three and a half or four and a half games or whatever it is. Or or maybe the over, if it's like 21, probably that's a better way to do it, you know. Um, what are your thoughts, John? Yeah, um, I I wouldn't mind taking a plus 300, honestly. I don't think I'd need a plus 400 on, per, on uh, Maxi Purcell. Uh, I think... I haven't run my numbers yet because this draw came out at six and I'm not going to lie to you. I've been watching TV and, and tennis on my computer. So like I haven't really done my original, I haven't originated my prices yet. That process will happen tomorrow. So I can't definitively say what I, what I would, but my first instincts, knowing these players, knowing their game styles, which is the majority of my handicap anyway. And then it's the form and then a few like statistics um, I'll consider, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say I'll probably still like it at plus three hundred. 
not as obviously not as much that goes without saying plus 400 is always better than plus 300 but uh but i i do think that he is probably he is probably going to come out at over 25 percent by numbers so even a plus 300 which is that implied probability of 25 percent is probably uh going to be enough for me but we'll see a 400 i can guarantee you i, don't, I wouldn't even need to run my i would only need to run my numbers to figure out my staking sizes on on my different bets i would not need to uh to run the numbers to tell you that i'd bet that that I can I, that I can almost guarantee you. Nothing certain in mm -hmm. life, but I can almost guarantee that. Room did drop a match last year in Montpellier to 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 Max Cressy, who's like kind of a similar ish player. Um, I don't know if there's like I wouldn't say that Cressy and Purcell are are, are the same, but I would say like they're more similar maybe than than there's not a whole lot of guys who are similar to Purcell on the tour, um, but. But um, but I think it's kind of an interesting, you know, if you're looking at how Rune does against uh, different players with different styles. I was going to say, I don't know if their style is all that similar, but I think their similarity is that they don't have many similarities to anyone else, right? And in that regard, they're similar. That's where when, that's when you that's where you landed at the end there, and that's what I would agree with most. Is I would say that kind of it's not an unknown game style because hello, do your tape study. Um, but like we know their game styles, but it's not one you come up against often. So that could also provide a, a bit of a test for Rune. And here's Aruna. The other thing too, by the way, if it is a night match, that would actually factor in um, in in Holger's favor, at least in my right. opinion. If that's if that heat comes down a bit and things, it's still going to play quick. The courts are still going to be going to be quick, but they'll be a, a slightly less uh, quick. That's going to you know Max Purcell, his, his serve is probably what he needs clicking the most landing first serves and and finding cheap points and if he's not able to do that as much we know runa likes the clay and likes the slower hard courts that slight slight adjustment from day to night could could be a difference maker for holger so keep that in mind when you're when you're thinking about your prices and your value if it does end up being a night match um i'm not sure because remember there's women's matches here too and they're gonna get um some they're a 500 they're gonna have some probably bigger matchups as well mm. So this might not actually get the night billing, but we'll see. Well, Nadal is also here. So, you know, he's going to get night billing. <laughs> right. Um, Brad, I, I think uh, my my play here might be the rune over 12 and a half. Uh, one of our specials. I, I just think like Purcell on a quick court, you know, first match of the year, like he's going to get to five in a set, you know, and like that kind of hedges against the, if you lose the Purcell money line. You know, so like hit the Purcell money line at yeah. plus 300 and then hit the rune over 12 and a half at presumably like minus 130, I would say. Yeah, I don't I don't hate it as like a hedge. I um, like I said, I don't I, I don't know what the data on this is, but I, I don't like the overs seem to me to be scary in these early season matches. We just don't know. Like it, it, there's not especially with the guy like, like Purcell. Did he play like did, did either of these? I, I really I honestly did not do the job I should have done following the exhibition season. Um, did either of these guys play a lot in December? I don't think so. Oh, I, um, yeah, EXOs are not my thing, man. No. Yeah, I don't really thought, and I, I wouldn't really draw anything from them other than like, I, I just don't know like what kind of. It's hard to say what kind of form either of these guys are in, which always makes me scary because like scared because like if one guy's just like out there to get a warm up match in or not like really fully ready to go and just plays terribly, then you're over twelve and a half is dead. Um, so I'd probably prefer to just like, I'll probably look at the money line and just take the, the maxi money line or just stay away. But 
I could see myself sprinkling a little and probably more of a sprinkle, especially given it's a first round match and a first term yeah. of the year. Probably a sprinkle on the Purcell money line is, is what I'll look for. All right. Next, if you bet. want to maximize your money, you should bet on Purcell. <laughs> touche, touche. Uh, next one Van Ash against Shevchenko. I, I think this is a really interesting match. Uh, personally, I would give Shevchenko as like a one and a half, two, probably, probably a two game favorite. That's kind of where I would set the line. Um, if I get any better on Shevchenko minus one and a half, I'd probably lay the game there, lay, lay the game and a half if I get that, just because of Van Ash's lack of firepower. Um, John, I, I just have a feeling you're going to say like he, he should be like a three game favorite. Nailed it. <laughs> that's that's where my initial initial <laughs> handicap is. Like I said, I'm going to caveat this with most of these matches. I haven't run everything yet, um, or or come up with my numbers and my prices on set numbers. But yeah, uh, my first impression is three, and I I could make a case for three and a half. But the way that the markets have tended to be, I'm like the the spreads have been a bit lower because of the quicker courts and the quicker conditions, probably like leading to more holds of serve. Um, so I I do think it'll you'll probably see. I hope we see a one and a half two. I think three is probably where uh, we're going to see it at. I, I think, like I said, I can make a case for three and a half. So on quick courts at half games, a big half game, I I probably still bet the three if it comes out. Of three. Give me a two and it's okay. Like yeah, I mean, two. I'll probably <laughs> so. But three, I don't think I I don't feel comfortable laying game. Like Brad said, overs. I have less comfort comfortability laying games early in the year because like. Yeah, one might come slug, uh, you know, come out sluggish, and that might be the favorite, and then you're totally screwed right off the bat. So, and Shevchenko loves loves to take a set where he just hammers errors left, right, and center, and loses it three six. He loves doing that, or at least in the experience where I've watched him, he's done it. Um, and then he starts whining so... and starts, you know, cursing in Russian with his like petulant little like face and like you know that. He kind of has a similar hairdo that you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, he just puts in like a, it's shorter. His hair uh, is shorter. He puts in like a little thing that holds up the top and pulls it back. Uh, okay. uh, but he has like normal, he has like normal length there, I would say. Uh, He's not like a, a lazy person who doesn't get his hair cut like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brad, your thoughts. So I'm, I'm the opposite of you guys here. Um, I I think I I'm I'm gonna, I'm hoping to, to get a line like you're saying, John. Because I think anything like plus one fifty or better, I'd love to take Van Ash. Um, I I kind of like this style matchup for Luca against a guy who's a little who might you know I, I'm still not fully buying into the to to new Shevchenko. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I kind of like the the idea of looking at a, a Van Ash play here, just kind of hoping he runs. Uh, runs run you know run Shevchenko around the court draw some errors yada yada um so yeah that, that's what I'm thinking here I mean Luca is a stronger mental player for sure like if you just you know talk about grinding and just staying in there Van Ash is the guy so if, if it turns into that I, I think you got you got a shot that which is why I, I I'm not going up to three games like two games I'll probably take it but more than that no yeah. That's just- yeah, and that's the thing too is I think that's why like Van Ash is deserves respect here, and that's that's pretty much the like if you give him a forty percent chance to win, it's plus one fifty. 
that's still giving him a 40% chance to win. That's it's not that disrespectful to him. And a lot of that, a lot of the the results that will lead to that 40% happening would almost entirely be that game script that Brad described, right? The just running around the court, frustrating him, making him, you know, hit impatient shots that are low margin that he shouldn't try and hit, rather than construct points and then find, you know, go bigger when when you've got an open court rather than you know, trying to hit a lower margin shot on the run. That's the concern. And that's why, like I said, I think Ben Ash will get respect to the point where he's 40, maybe more than 40% in the market. I just think that like Shevchenko on a quick, on a quicker court, this is, this is much more suited to his game style. Um, and the, the only downside here is Shevchenko is also being someone who the market has really grown to love because he did have that crazy end of the year. What, didn't he win a title or play a final? What got him into the top? Uh, I think he made a semi, right? Didn't he lose like a crazy semi to FAA where he had really had a shot to beat FAA yeah. in a semi? The when when yeah. FAA won the tur- the tournament was that a quarter that he lost to FAA that tie break? Yeah, that was a quarter. That was after that crazy Echeverry Rune match. That that was a great session. I, I remember that yeah. clearly. I think it was a quarterfinal. That that Holger uh, Echeverry match was great. Was Echeverry? Yeah, 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 was Echeverry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it was when followed by. Yeah, you can. You can. We'll talk about him uh, too. Um, next match is uh, Hoffman and Corda. Um, I. Corda yeah, is probably going to be a three and a half to four game favorite. I To me, this kind of screams stay away. Um, Maybe the Corda two zero if I get plus money on that, but like it's probably going to be minus one thirty. So I I don't anticipate seeing a line that I'm going to feel is attackable here. I think you I, I think you underestimate how much the market loves Yannick Hoffman. I'm not saying I love Yannick. I, I <laughs> I've been pretty vocal that I don't off yeah. of Clay like Yannick Hoffman all that much, but the market does. I I definitely think you'll see plus plus money on a two nothing. I mean, I think you're right. I think it should be like more juiced and you should play it and you should probably stay away. But I don't think, I think you're going to get sucked into betting Corda here because I, the market does like them some Yannickov. And the one thing I like about Corda in Australia is one, it comes after a month of very little play, which means this is the one time of the year we can hopefully trust his like physical, like his, his body to hold up. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Any, yeah. Anywhere else. I'm like, Oh God, yeah, he always the Corda, yeah. the Corda effect into your price points. Uh, but, and the second thing is, I like what I go at court in, in Australia is the serve where, you know, we've talked about for years, like kind of that center thing where center's improved a ton and he's done it with like a, a technical change rather than just a fluke run of landing a ton of first serves. Um, so I think it's actually sustainable. Corda also has that effect where the ground strokes are elite, the, the serve has lacked. Well, when you play on quicker courts, the one benefit is you can mask that weaker serve a bit. Right, you're going to find more free points, even if your serve isn't in the kind of elite category. I think that bodes well for Corda, who's got an absolutely great game from the baseline. So, I like his chances here. I'm with you. He should be a he should be a favorite to win in two sets, like more often than not, and he should absolutely be a favorite to win each of those sets by a break because I just don't trust Hoffman. That second serve on on hard courts just it, it's not good enough. So. Um, but I, I don't think I think you'll get it cheaper than that. Okay, I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping you're right. What about you, Brad? I mean, you guys, I you know you copied what I said in the in my preamble about the draw talk, John, about Corda. So 
Um, so, so, I mean, but I think we agree. Um, where I'm going with it is I, I think you guys hit it spot on. Like I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be looking to hit quarter in this. I'm hoping that th I'm hoping I might be willing to play games. Like if I only have to play like three games, that actually sounds pretty good to me here. Um, or maybe the two zero, depending on what those lines look like, but one of those two, but we'll have to see what the line is obviously. All right. Next quarter we got is uh, Ben Shelton um, against Roman Safilin. Very interesting first round match. Then we got two Aussies, Alexi Popperin and Chris O'Connell. We got Matteo Arnaldi and Marton Fushevic. And then we got Sebastian Baez against a qualifier. Um, so I think this is a very interesting quarter, to be honest. I This caught my eye when I first looked at the draw today. Um, thoughts on Ben Shelton? Like, what, what do you think? I mean, Brad always says about, like, how raw he is and, like, how much room for improvement he has, which I, I agree, but like, I don't think what he showed from like us open to Vienna is necessarily sustainable just because of how many tie breaks he won in that time. And like how I think the, the variance went to his, his, you know, went in his side. Um, I feel like the luck, he had the best quote unquote luck ratings as they have in football. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily sustainable. So I think there is some regression here. Um, that being said, I, I can't deny his talent, but like, I don't know if I can expect top 10 from him by the end of the year. Like, uh, what are your thoughts on that on, on Shelton, John, just like as a whole for the year? He's, he's a confounding player to me just because like you can see it. I mean, there's, there's, it's undeniable what he, what he can do. Don't really need to go. I think it's pretty well established. The scouting report on him. I don't watch him as much as a lot of people do. Just because to me, it's like you're too athletic and you're too strong from the baseline to have like the return points, one numbers that you do and not to be breaking more. And it's frustrating at the same time. Like, so to me, I don't like watching serve bots play all that much. I know Ben Shelton isn't. He's too athletic to be a serve bot, but he does play his way out of break ch chances to break a little too often for me. And as much as he's entertaining, he's got that personality. If I'm not assigned to covering his match, I'm not a big watcher of Ben Shelton. Right? It was cool when he was in Australia. It was cool when he was racking up challenger titles and he was the next big thing. Now everyone knows about him, right? It's like this happens on the women's side too. You're going to get handicappers who there's a certain group of handicappers that if they start talking about this prospect, they're no longer an up-and-coming prospect. That's the general public knowing about, yeah. right? But they're going to pretend, hey, this I, I'm in, I'm in on this player. I'm ahead of the curve. No, you're ahead of the curve. Was eight months ago, pal. Like not even. You know what I mean? Like that's where I feel like yeah. Bill, Ben Shelton got to really quick, and like once you lose that prospect hype, the game is a little. It's just not that entertaining for me. my personal choice. I get why some people do the on court antics, the, the shouting, the the cheering, the the crazy serves, the shot making. I get it. Not my cup of tea um, until it's, he's a more, a more well-rounded player, but I can, I get the love for him. And I, you know, I, I can see why people like to make the prediction that he can make the top 10 this season because the top 10 talent is absolutely there. And one of this one year that that prediction is going to come true. So why not again, try and be ahead of the curve. <laughs> and predict to me, this year. To me, this match against Safulin, that's a danger match. And I actually think um, Shelton is, because of this hype that you talk about, he's going to be overvalued by the markets. He's getting so much respect from the books 
And he's going to be a pretty big favorite. Like I would be surprised if he's, you know, better than minus 150, minus 175. Like, like to me, that's kind of where the line should be, minus 150. But I have a feeling he's going to be like minus 200, minus 225, just, just based on how much hype he's getting. And in that sense, I think there's tremendous value on Roman because like if we talk about a guy who's been improving year to year, it's Roman Safulin. <laughs> like he's it's been- really cool to see Safulin's like career arcs. If you look at his ranking, like it's just like slowly gone up now for like five years. It's like the perfect thing of like I make small improvements every year and I get a little better, little better, little better. I I agree. And I think these courts favor him too. Like I think they're really, really good courts for him. So I'm probably going to hit Safulin any anything better than plus 120 or 130 on the money line I'm going to I'm going to hit. I don't know. Do you agree with that, John? Or or Brad, either one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, Roman's a very he's he's got firepower, man. I don't think people realize that Roman yeah. you you put Safulin on a quick court like that guy can hammer away at the ball from both wings. Obviously the forehand is is better as it tends to be for most players. Uh, but it's it's not a foregone conclusion Ben Shelton wins this match. He likes to play close sets and close matches anyway mm. um, due to, again, that return game not being for his physical makeup, not being where it should be. Uh, and Roman Sefulin can take advantage of that. The guy's got a pretty clean game. He's got a decent serve, nice forehand for that those plus one balls. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping that the books are dumb and make this over under like 21 and a half. Because I would I would hit that easily, which we might with get. two servers. I don't think you're gonna get twenty one for two servers. Uh, that's got it. Like most of these, I like even the Halik Klein match today. That's back in a rain delay as we record. Um, I think it was twenty three. Like I don't think you're gonna get below twenty two unless you've got a a minus right. seven hundred favorite kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think you're gonna get a twenty. If you get a twenty one and a half, you should be absolutely putting. Mucho yeah. do- mucho dollars on that or movie dollars yeah. on that. Uh Brad, uh you're on you're on Roman here? Uh, I mean I, I I it depends what the line is. I I'm I mean I'm really buying into Manny so or to, to Ben Shelton. So I mean I, I want to correct you on a couple things there. So you talk about Shelton winning a lot of tie breaks. Yeah. Shelton's record in tie breaks, US Open and for the rest of the year, US Open through Paris was seven and six. So it's not like it's not necessarily it's just winning like a ton of tie breaks. Like he's, you know, I, and I also talked this in the last podcast. I've said this over and over again. If you go post um, post Toronto last year, so everything after Wimbledon, basically once they came to hard courts in August, through the end of the year, that's five months, and he got his return points one percentage up to thirty five percent. I think that's a huge number for Shelton. Like with how good that serve is. If he can win 35% of points on return, he'll get like I what that translates to like a break a set. That's probably good enough to win a lot of matches for him with that serve. I like I like Roman too. I mean, I I hear what all you guys are saying on Roman. I like like Roman as a player too. I agree with all the firepower point. Like I, I'm in between you guys. I think I think that the true line on this should be like, you know should be in the 180 range, like a plus, a minus 200, plus 160, minus 200, plus 150. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see, uh, yeah, I, I don't, that's, I think I'll probably, probably be too close what where you're the market is to probably hit this. That's probably what you're going to get, what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a buyer on Shelton. Like I said, man, I've said it many times, like, when you look at how raw he is, 
just in terms of number of hours on a tennis court versus these guys, you've got to think he has a, a wider, a wider, not a wider learning curve, but like a, a more room to improve. So yeah, I, I really, I really like me some Sheldon. John, I know I'm not ahead of the curve, um, but I am, I am on the bandwagon. <laughs> Oh, great that's always my favorite. Oh man, I found this new great young player. It's like she's won multiple <laughs> yeah, shut up. junior grand slams. Is number one junior in the world. Congrats. You looked up the number one player in the rankings in the juniors. Like, do you want a trophy for that? Like, now can you describe her game? Of course you can. Like, that's the other thing, too. Someone looks up results, someone looks up the rankings, and then thinks they've got this like gem to bet. And it's like, you couldn't even break down her game. You looked at a website, bro. Don't pretend like you've done all this work. I hate that crap, man. Yeah. Out of here. All right. Next match. Uh, Popperin and O'Connell, two Aussies here. Uh, I, I think Popperin will be a solid favorite here. Um, I'm guessing probably in the three game range. Um, but, and I, I think that's what we're going to get. And I'm going to probably stay away. Is that what you guys are thinking? I'd like to back Chris O'Connell, but I don't know, man. I the the diff, the, the the improvements from Popper in last year were noticeable um, in terms of I think you know maybe cutting down on forced errors in, in some bigger spots. The serve is like he's just got more pop yeah. to his game than Chris does. So I think that when it comes to quick courts and racking up holds, like he does have a a, a relatively large advantage in that respect. That makes it tough uh, for me to back to, to to back Chris O'Connell, and we'll have to see where the, the price points come out because you know every player has a price that you're going to back them at eventually. But I, I can't see myself betting on this match all that often, to be honest. And I, I'm a high volume better. I love betting on matches. Like I've made 22 yeah. bets before one match in a main draw of a bracketed tournament has happened. I've already got 22 bets on the season. So like. You know, I will. I will hit the <laughs> the matches where I think there's a bit of an edge, but this ain't. I, I can't see this being one. Of them. I can't see it being one of them either. Is Poplin really a good player on quicker courts? I, I feel like his best surf, surface is clay. I feel like on the quicker courts, he's 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 not like. Uh, this is a weird thing to say, but it's like he's not consistent enough. Like his swing isn't like he's too sloppy. That's the right word. He's too sloppy on the quick courts. His swing is too slow and he's too sloppy. He misses too much. Well, you make it error prone for me on, to to be better on clay. I mean, the 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 only thing that I think you're going to be able to point to is an Umag title, but a post a post French Open clay court title at a, at the 250 level, like not it's not even Hamburg. But didn't he have a like good a run in Rome as well? Yeah, he made the round of 16 at Rome coming out of qualifying. That's a good run. He, he qualified at Monte Carlo, like. Yeah, you make a good point, Brad. I mean. But that that being said, doesn't Chris O'Connell play decently well on clay as well? Kind of surprising. I think for O'Connell, but the quicker hard courts are better because he gets a little more out of that like variety game. That slice works a little better on ironically on a quicker court where the ball stays a little lower. Um the lack the fact that he doesn't really have a lot of power. So he needs the court to help him out a little bit. He gets a little more help from the court on a quicker court. Whereas Popper doesn't really well, need that help. I think conditions here favor O'Connell. Um, he'll, he'll he'll serve in volley too, if if the situation calls for it. It's how he took a set from Daniel Medvedev. I'll never forget Medvedev for not covering. Yeah, that's crazy. Doha last year. Yeah, I you know um, 
I just find it difficult to see if O'Connell gets down a break, how he's going to break back. That's the thing. Like, I, I feel that this is kind of similar. Like, I'm learning my lesson from this Greek score, Greek score debacle against Rude. Mm-hmm. Like, once Greek score got broken, it was uh, it was done, right? So, like, he broke back, didn't he? Did Greek score break back or you get broken back again? I haven't been following broken that back one. again. Got broken yeah, back. It was just again. an ugly match from Greek Sport. Just, just terrible. Like this, this was back to like twenty twenty two levels of Greek Sport. You know, where yeah, just ugly. But you live in two learn. guys. This is going back to O'Connell Popper. This is two guys who really struggled last year after the U.S. Open. Um, I, I don't, you know, the O'Connell. I just don't think he's that good of a. I just don't know how good of a player he really is. Popper had started to show something a little bit. You know, again, Umag run. You know the the good record uh, results at Monte Carlo in Rome, and then I think he went like two and eight or something post U.S. Open. It wasn't good. So um, if you get three games, would you take him with for O'Connell? I guess I think yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know. I probably wouldn't take the games, but like if I get like a plus, if I get anything on a money line that's like plus like. I don't think I'll get this, but if I get like plus 180 or better, maybe, I don't know, plus 150, plus 180, something in that range or better, I would take O'Connell, but like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're saying, I really really don't want to bet Popper in here, though. I just, betting Popper on on quick court seems scary to me. I I get why you would think with with the serve and the firepower, quick courts would be good for him, but I just think he's too sloppy. Like the quick courts seem to. He also gets uh, more hyped up with a crowd. So I think like uh, a home event is going to favor Popperin slightly more than O'Connell in a way because of his, I think he like amps up the crowd. That's why he played so well against Fritz in, uh, you know, at the Australian Open last year and had that. I guess the question though, I won't go back to that again is like, and that's a great example of him getting hyped up. He was, he was really into that match, Manny, but like, does he get hyped up for like an averagely hyped crowd? Because, like, that was obviously the most extreme home crowd he'll ever get, right? But, like, a Brisbane crowd isn't going to be a Melbourne crowd. It's just not enough. It's not as many people. So, like, does he get hyped up for, like, 10,000 people yelling? Or does it need to be, like, 30,000? He's probably not even going to get 10,000 here. (laughs) I mean, I was, I was, I was, I'm not really sure. I don't don't know what the numbers have. Who knows what quarter will be on, yada, yada. But, like. You know, he'll, like, yeah, there will be people cheering for him for sure that he can get. And there'll be there'll be an excited crowd, but it won't be. But he's also playing another Aussie, so it might be not as partisan. So maybe it's going to c- kind of cancel out. But all right, let's move on. Arnaldi against Vucevic. Um, two kind of similar players, like two guys that like are consistent, grind well from the baseline. But I feel like they lack. I think Arnaldi has slightly more firepower, but. I don't know. I, I kind of view these guys as being similar, but both fun to watch. Like this, this is going to be a very fun match to watch. Like betting aside, like I would like, I would, if I was at this event, this is the match I would go to, you know? Yeah. Um, I think this is pretty close to a pick em. Maybe Arnaldi, a one game favorite, but like, I think this is pretty, pretty close either way. I, 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 I don't know. That's that's where I would set the price. And if I get anything better on either side, I would probably go that way. What about what about you guys? I, I think it's a good test for the 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 young Italian, right? I mean, 
the kid's got some pop. He's got he can ball out. We know that you know he probably grew up on clay courts. It's where he got his starts. Where you know a lot of the challengers' success came from. But he showed us this past year, at least in the last what five six months of the year, he's not totally incompetent on hard courts. He's pretty. Did he upset Nori at the U.S. Open? Oh yeah, he killed Nori. Yeah, he killed Nori. Straight yeah. sets. Yeah, man, I run that. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't tough to do uh, down the stretch last year. And you can tell that month of that that time off, like you, it, it helped Cam Nori. He looked a little bit more like himself last night in the first and third sets. But um, look, Mateo Arnold, he's got he's got spot, man. He can ball, right? He can ball out on the on on hard courts too. So this is a good test, though. You've got a guy who can throw in some variety, who can make a ton of balls, who isn't going to you know, blow you off the court, but who isn't exactly an underpowered player either at Barton Fuchsrix. Like, he can turn it up himself. So, it's a very, very good test, is what I would say. Is Arnaldi probably more talented? I'd go with yes. But this is where kind of, you know, you get those narratives of, like, Wiley veteran with experience, you know, provides a, he's a great test, a stern test for the youngster. I think that is, that kind of narrative would, would be applicable and fit pretty well uh, as a descriptor to to this this but uh, Arnaldi this to me has a way higher ceiling, but he also has a way lower. F- well, Fujovic actually has a pretty low floor too, as we saw against Rinky at the U.S. Open. But uh, <laughs> well, he was he was exhausted. You could just tell he was. That's that was true. not Marto Fujovic. That's true. But if he's right. fresh, I think Arnaldi has a lower floor. Um, like I've seen him just miss ball after ball after ball. Um, too. So that's what I'm a little bit worried about if I would hit Arnaldi, but he has a way higher upside, I feel. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Brad? Uh, to me, this feels like a pure uh, a pure pass match. I The the rinky match isn't the only one where I've seen Fusevich just go completely off the rails. Um, I mean, there was center the last three sets at the Australian Open. Um, there was... There was a Davis Cup match. I think I can't remember who he played. We played a match at Davis Cup where he went completely off the rails. Um, so, like, like the the floor of Fusis can be pretty low. The floor of Arnoldi can be pretty low. Um, but I mean, they both can get it back. Like, I, I, I think it's close to a flippy match. You know, I think it's Arnoldi's probably a slight favorite here. Um, I, I probably agree with you, Manny. Maybe a game, maybe a game and a half. Mm. Um, I I doubt I'm gonna end up putting a bet on this. To me, this I, I it's kind of, it's it could it should be if both guys play well, it should be a fun match to watch. I think John, your narrative is is probably pretty real. Um, but I probably won't have a stake in it. Okay, fair. Uh, Baez against a qualifier, a lucky loser. Well, uh, I mean, so what, this is kind of interesting. What are what are our thoughts on Baez? Because like he um. Yeah. He was like obviously like his whole career he's been his whole career he's what twenty two I think Fuspitz called him out on it, um, <laughs> but um, his age. You know, his whole career for what he's had he's he's been a clay court guy but he did a little bit better on hard near the end of last year he had the Winston Salem run um, I think he might have had one decent run on the indoors he vultures up two fifties but I I would be very well this is a two fifty I know he's not vulturing this one up. I can I can pretty much guarantee you that he he might win a match he might win a match or two but I mean but I, so but but going back to Baez like right he's twenty two I think his whole career he he grew up on the slow courts like he's allowed to get better um like do we think it's a narrative that he's just 
terrible on hard courts like he was at the beginning of 23 that he was like you know not even an atp level player on hard courts or is he actually yeah. better than that and he's like semi-viable say like between like 50 and 100 in the, on, like is he above or below the 75th best player in the world on a hard court that's a good question i see that's the thing is i'm i i, I kind of got to the point where you are where you're at now um or where, like you, like you said, I don't know when you got to this point, but like the point you brought up, that's I started to be more and more convinced as I watched him, and I realized the first serve was starting to win him more points, more cheat points on hard courts. Like he start, he realized if he wants to stay inside that top twenty-five, top thirty, top thirty-five range, the 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 clay court specialist thing ain't gonna work out for him because you're gonna have to play a bunch of masters on hard courts. You're gonna have to learn how to play and win matches on hard courts uh, because you can't just rely on racking up tons and tons of wins on clay every year at the highest level. You're going to get tough draws once in a while. You go out early, have a 500 or a masters on clay. Do they have 500s on clay? Um, if, but if you go out early, Hamburg, Hamburg, right? You're done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The one, and you got, you got one golden swing 500, right? Isn't, isn't real 500? Yeah, oh Barcelona. yes. Yes. Barcelona. Barcelona. Look at that. There's three of them. I'm an idiot. Uh, it's, um, I, I do agree with you, Brad, though. I think, I don't think he's a good hard quarter per se. I think he's an imp he's improved on hard courts, and that's why like you didn't make the case he was a good hard quarter. You set that line at top seventy five on hard courts. I think that's a pretty apt question to ask because that's not calling him a great hard quarter. Like if you're the seventy fifth best player on a surface, you're not that good on. It. But you're also not as as you know dog duty as a lot of people make it out to be. So I I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, I also think when we talk about bias, I, I man, you and I had this conversation around the summer last year. A uh, big thing I noticed is I think the movement on hard court's improving. So before it looked like he really only knew how to move on the clay, but I feel like he's starting to like, and it sounds kind of silly because it's really just like running, but like, which is a pretty basic human function. But like, it seems like he's, he's uh, really. moving better on hard court than what he used to maybe, you know, this time last year. And I, I think there's a real thing to that. Cause if he grew up like sliding around on clay, then that's what he would know how to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't agree with you that running is a normal human function, uh, <laughs> based especially based on who I see come in the pharmacy when I when I work there every day. But, <laughs> <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of Ozempic and uh, Wegovy going around. Uh, but uh, let's put that. I mean, I, I think bias. <laughs> I don't think he necessarily wins on like hardcore pedigree. I think he wins on mental tenacity, you know, like that final he won in Winston Salem. He won because of, uh, you know, Lechka going away. Like he was just more mentally in tune than Lechka. Um, you know, he got through that run because he was more mentally in it. Everyone wanted to get to New York. It it felt, you know, and there were, there was a vulture. He vultured yeah, in 1850 vultured, at Winston Salem. Right? So, and then, like he had had some confidence, and then he he had a, I think a pretty easy draw at the U.S. Open, won him two matches, right? So, like, I think that little run is kind of causing people to believe he's better than he is. So, like, I would probably say he's worse than seventy five on hard, like from a week to week basis. I just think he had a decent two week run. I, I think that's yeah, you're right. I mean, interesting, interesting enough, Manny. Post U.S. Open on hard court, he was one and no, my bad, two, two and six. And one of those wins came over Dane Dane Sweeney. Dane Sweeney, who I have hey. to beat. Um, who's he playing today? Dane Sweeney. Dane Sweeney. Oh, I have him to beat. Um, 
forget. Who's he playing? But that's fine. Dane Sweeney is not. We're not talking about if Dane Sweeney is the 75th best hard quarter. No, no, no but I, I have him to win today at plus 275. Um, He's out here catching strays, though. How did Dane Sweeney do? <laughs> Dane Sweeney. <laughs> Oh, I had him. I had him like two years ago, plus nine hundred Australian challenger, and he was. I think he lost seven six six four seven six seven. It was so close, man. So I think he was up a break in both sets or something like that too. I can't remember. Like I said, it's been a couple of years, but I always like backing Dane Sweeney in Australia is like a plus I, I killed. Uh, I killed tennis tennis master. He's plus two seventy five to be Gregoire Barrere today in uh, Brisbane qualifying. That one I actually left alone. But uh, I have I have been a Dane Sweeney backer in the past. This I didn't bet him today, but uh, but I have in the past. I will say that. Okay. All right. Let's move on. To I didn't think Dane Sweeney was going to come up in this podcast. I did not have that on my bingo card. <laughs> and Any you brought him up. It's fair. <laughs> fair. <laughs> fair. Uh, all right, let's move on to the bottom half of the uh, the draw. So we got uh, Aslan Karatsev and uh, Jason Kubler. Uh, I know the MP9 got MP9 loves Jason Kubler, right? Don't you don't you guys have a nickname for him? McCubler. Kubler, there you go. <laughs> then we got Lucky Loser against uh, Rafa Nadal. Like, don't, don't you think that's a little bit scripted? The fact that he gets that, like, come on, come on. First uh, tournament back, the guy is right back to getting like. Cupcake draws. Well, I mean, some of the qualifiers could be yeah. tough, but good God, could that be more Rafa Nadal? I've already saw Rafa. I'm amazed they didn't just give him a seed. I'm amazed they didn't just give him like Echeverry seed or something, just to like just uh, just in the name of making more money for the tournament. Like, yeah, it's it's nuts though. And you know, I saw a Nadal fan complain about a tough draw once, and the tennis world hates Rafa as if they're not totally random. And I'm like, did you like? Did you were you hibernating? For the last 10 years, like, Rafa Nadal doesn't get tougher draws than any other player, or more often than any other player on tour. In fact, like, I think I'd be more in the camp. Now, this is also selective memory, right? We always remember the easy draws. I'm more in the camp that he continually finds relatively easy draws. And, of course, he wakes up here in his first turn it back with a freaking qualifier lucky loser. And but I wouldn't, I mean, honestly, Manny, if I have I've talked about this, you know, obviously, I don't know anything here, and I'm being a bit of a conspiracy theorist, maybe, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of these are fixed. Man, there's too much money on the line for these tournaments not to want to slightly fix the draws. Yeah, I. But I, anyways, I, that's enough. That's enough talk on on Nadal. On conspiracies. Oh, <laughs> enough talk on Nadal. Period. I mean, we could talk about what what you expect from him. Uh, we, we will, and I'm sure in ten minutes. But we, we yeah. But okay. the rest of the quarters, Thompson and Bukic. Uh, and then, and then Uber and, Uber. Uh, yeah. Um, so Karatsev Kubler. Um, oh, this is just like such a high variance kind of match. Like, like Karatsev can beat him two and one, but this can also get real complicated, right? Like, I feel like those are the only two kind of outcomes of this match, would make which makes it very, very tough to handicap. Um, I think it's a stay away match. Yeah, it depends on the price here. I think if if McCubler comes out as like a, a hefty dog, I'm going to be backing him because again, you're like you said, it's it, anything involving Aslan Kratsev is going to be like the range of outcomes, the dominant wins and dominant 
losses are both going to be or should be a higher percentage uh, in your kind of, uh, you know, when you distribute your percentages between like your dominant wins, your close, your close wins, your three set wins, et cetera, et cetera. Like the average player, that dominant six, two, six, one stuff is going to be relatively low on both the winning, winning and losing side. Right. With him, both of those are going to eat up, you know, are going to happen more often. So um, at this point, this is really where it comes down to how often do your Aslan Karats have dominant wins and close wins? What do they total up to? And what are your Kugler wins total up to? And I, I just don't think because of the high variance, it necessarily changed the fact that Kugler is going to win this match a fair number of times if you were to run it a hundred times, a thousand times, however many simulations you'd want to run or have them play. I do think Kubler wins at a, a, a fairly significant portion of the time. I don't think he's a favorite here. It's not the case I'm making. But if he's going to be a hefty dog, then I will be back. All right, Brad. Kubler hasn't played since he hurt his shoulder at the U.S. Open. Does that yeah, does that's, that that's impact? Part. What? That is the annoying part, right? Is like, eh. Yeah, it's another reason for me to stay away. And he's getting a wild card here. I really, I can't see, I almost can't see a price where I would back Kubler unless it was something insane. Like, unless you told me that, like, Karate was giving Kubler, like, five plus games, maybe. But, like, I can't see, I, I can't see getting behind Kubler here. Um, do I want to, I don't know if, like, laying games on Karate is a terrible thing here. Just because, like, if, like, I, I think there are enough, scenarios where Karatsev just comes out and this is like a complete beatdown. Like, man, you and I used to talk about this. I haven't seen these lines really come up lately, but we used to have like the, the super over, like the super under. And this would almost be a match where you would play one of those. Like, just try to like find a line that's like plus like 500 or something. You know, like like take Karatsev to win like two and two or better at like plus, like, you know, eight to one or something. And like, that would like, I'd rather play it like that. I don't think there'll be a way to play this match like that. First of all, it's not a big enough, high enough of a high profile match. Secondly, I've seen those lines really disappear lately. Um, but I really can't see backing Kubler here coming off of that injury. So, I, we just don't know what Kubler's going to be. I hate backing guys with wild cards coming off of this injury because it could just be like a wild card for the money. Um, I, I really, I would stay away oh, from Kubler here. This could actually be a good under spot. Like uh, if, if it's 22 and a half, I might go under here because like, as you said, Karatsev can blow him off. The, uh, we both said Karatsev can blow him off the court. And then if Karatsev is just spraying after he sprays 80 errors, like this could be two and one the other way. I mean, what should the over-under here be? I'm thinking maybe like 21. Some I think 21 might be a fair over-under here. It's probably going to be 21 and a half. I think. I know. I, I kind of like the under. I know it's a quick court, but just with the Kubler injury, like – that's my biggest fear here, man, is like, what is what is Kubler's health? Like, it's probably a stay away, but there there could be a line where I could take Karatsev if, if, if it's I think good it's under or nothing. That's kind of how I'm looking here. John, you don't play too many unders, right? No. No. Been, been, been hurt too many times by three setters where the spread caches and the under does not. Not a fan of them. Not fan of it, you, it, you prefer to just play the games. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on men's or women's tennis too. In men's tennis, I think your unders where the spread doesn't cash might come in a little bit more often, I guess. Especially if it's a higher number. Um, but in women's tennis, no, I would just the because of the the propensity 
to play more lopsided sets, you're almost, almost always better off laying the game. So there's not a huge difference between them, uh, but there are obviously instances where where it those one could hit one and won't. And uh, the 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 minus games in, on the women's side especially are are certainly the way to go. Yeah, men's, men's side, I feel like you get a little more of a men's. I feel like you get, it depends on the, the on a lot of factors, but like. You'll see men's match with like a five game spread where the over under will be like 20 or 20 and a half. In which, in which case, you're getting a real, so there is some value you're getting in the under. Um, so I think in men's, there's a little more validity to it, but I hear your point overall, John. I think it's a pretty good point. Yeah. Um, as far as Nadal goes, um, what are your expectations for him this year? I know it's really hard to say without seeing a match. I I I know he loves to downplay his his uh you know chances in press conferences. I don't listen to a single one of his press conferences because I think it's all BS. Like, you know, I, I think deep down inside he expects to win slams, you know, like otherwise he wouldn't come back if he doesn't think that that's viable. Um, but he's just trying to downplay it in case it goes south, but he's done that his entire career. Like he said, he wasn't favored for French open titles. Like it's, it's nonsense, you know? So, um, I don't go by a word that he says, I think I'm expecting decent, um, results for him. I know in, in our preseason pod, I had an over under of 35 matches played it, it. John, I'm curious to hear your take on that. Do you think he goes over or under that? 35 matches played, just a hypothetical. Well, he's going to play like Rome. He's going to play the French and he's going to win a bunch of matches at both of those. He's going to play the Brisbane and Australian open. I'm going to go over. Okay. But I mean, here's my conspiracy theory in tennis. I'm not a big fixing kind of guy. I'm not a big, you know, whatever the other, major conspiracy theories are in the sport. I am a big time. Uh, Nadal does this whole like warrior narrative buildup mm-hmm. intentionally and always has. He exaggerates his injuries on court. Now I can't prove it. This is why it's a conspiracy theory. Only he knows this. I got no proof, but man, time and again, this guy just like, Oh, he got it out another win. Rolling my eyes. Like, okay. Yes. Yes. Rafa is the grittiest, toughest, biggest warrior to ever play a sport ever in the history of the world. I get it. You can tell I'm not a Rafa fan. So my expectations this year are he retires. And that's, you know, I, I'm not going to, like I said it about Djokovic where people are like willing him to retire because they have this like odd hatred of him that I think stems from, let's just say non-tennis stuff. Cause I don't really want to get into anything else, but it's, it's certainly like non-tennis hatred. Uh, and like tribalistic kind of BS. And so I don't want to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to Nadal retiring, but here's the thing. Djokovic is at the top of his game. Willing him to retire is odd. Like willing someone who brings, you know, wizardry to the court and, and rooting for for beautiful, high-quality tennis to retire and calling yourself a tennis fan seems almost inco- incongruent, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're a tennis fan, why would you not want to watch high-quality tennis? It seems a little stupid to me, but that's what happens when you're tribalistic and and you know, groupthink takes over. Um, you don't really think rationally or logically. Yeah. The difference with Nadal is, and the reason why I don't mind saying I would, I, I wouldn't mind willing him to retirement. Is there a bias there? Of course there is. But it's more about the fact that he's not playing. Is he's not the elite Rafael Nadal we saw 
we once saw. So it's not like, you know, you're still getting high-quality tennis and you're still enjoying watching him play. His fans are. I'm not – like, I don't – like, it's not as fun for me watching Nadal as, as those battles with Fed were, right? Uh, or those battles with Djokovic were. He's not at that level anymore. So, yeah. I, but he's come back I'd from time attack. after time after time after time. And like right. Warrior really, narrative. Warrior, well, yeah, I, okay. All right. That's my conspiracy uh, theory, and I'm not letting go of it. I'm not letting go of it. That's my conspiracy theory, and I'm sticking to it. So, okay. This is a, seen him, we have not seen him miss a full year. Like, this is, you know, this is a, this is a, a new, I feel like a new bound for him. I have really low expectations. I expect very little. I think this is going to be a mess. Um, I just don't think, I don't, I don't think he's that, to your point, John, I don't think he's that good anymore outside of clay and then i don't um i don't even know like how long he would be able can, can he be can he stay healthy for more than three months and is he good enough to actually win matches at this point yeah I, well, I, I certainly think he's still good enough to win matches like the talent level is he's just he is too good like the big i don't want to come off as a hater who, who tries to make a case that he's not good because then you get into that same kind of illogical rational thought that I was trying to dump on earlier, but he's still one of the goats for a reason. Like the talent is still, he's still is, I'm not saying matches. is he a good, did he have a good well, career? Was he a good player? No, no, I'm no, no, saying no, no. he's dropping the ball in 2023, right 2024, still a good yes. player. Yes. He's still a very good player. He's not where he was at his peak, but he's still a very good player. He's going to win a ton of matches. I mean, he did struggle when we saw him last. I mean, he did, you know, Mackie McDonald had him on a rope even before the injury. You know, then he lost to Tommy Paul in, in Paris. You know, he couldn't win a match at the World Tour Finals, um, I believe. Um, yeah, you're right, Manny. You know, yeah. Like, he really struggled to win matches even prior to that injury. Like, United Cup, he lost to Nori. Uh, I think he lost to Demonor as well, if, I've, if I'm not mistaken, or barely beat him, maybe came back from a set down, right? Like, so he really struggled prior to that event. And it's like, it, I felt like he was just lacking some power and oomph in his ball. And if he doesn't have any, he's dropping balls short. Like, you know, these guys are. You also talk about how bad his foot was at the French Open that he won in 2022. Um, And he really didn't do much in in terms of like tennis success after that. I don't know. I'm I'm really I'm low on this comeback. Not not, I don't hate Nadal as a player. I don't hate him as a as a career player. I I don't think there's much left in the tank. But we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll prove me wrong once again. I want to put something out there like I, I put it put this on the timeline, but anyone who says that Djokovic is not the greatest player of all time, and this is coming from not a not a Djokovic fan by any means, you know, but if you say that Djokovic is not the greatest player of all time, you don't know anything about tennis. And I don't think any anyone can argue about that, really, like well, the resume is just speaks for itself. You know, it's just not worth people like that. They're just are worth to, it's like, not trying right. to debate because. You're going to bring up points, and nothing's going to change their mind. Agreed. Right? Like, and it's it, everyone's going to well. It's subjective. I mean, no, it's not. not yeah, but, but there there is a subjectivity to it, sure. But like, you have to ignore some some pretty strong data points to still get. So like, not all not all opinions are created equal. Opinions are subjective, sure. But like, some can be more informed than others. And if you're going to hold on to Nadal or Federer, being there, I'm a Fed fan. I grew up, I still have my Wilson, uh, my Wilson encode rackets. One's red and white because mm-hmm. of the Swiss, the Swiss colors that he used. Like I got my, my high school tennis racket was 
Roger Federer's racket. Mm-hmm. Even though my game style didn't really suit using that kind of racket. I was yeah. a huge Fed fan growing up. I have my Wimbledon 8 shirt where they turned the the B or whichever. They turned one of the letters into an 8 when he won his when he won that title. But I'm not making the case that Fed's the greatest of all time because I'm not I'm not stupid, right? Like, I, I know that Djokovic is the greatest player to ever play the game, period. Yeah. But that's still technically an opinion. It's just... You know, some are more informed than others, right? Like, let's be real here. I, I'm not one to mince words. So here's the funny are, part in my mind. Probably tell them. It, it, here's the funny part in my mind. If you want to make an argument that Djokovic isn't the greatest player of all time, I think the less valid argument is to argue that Nadal or Federer are. Like, you could maybe make a case if you wanted to go back like 50, 60 years and pull like a Borg because he didn't play as many. He, he because he retired early. There was, you know, the surfaces were way different, um, way, you know, much, much different styles of player. Um, you know, if you want to argue peak six years, guys didn't go to a lot of players didn't play the Australian Open. I don't think Borg did because that back then that's not what amateurs did. They didn't, or not what pros did. They didn't travel down there, yada, yada. Like, I think there's a better argument. I mean, it may be made for Borg than there is for, or pick better. your pre 1970s guy than there is for Djokovic. Or not Djokovic, and there is to Nick argue Kyrgios. for Federer and Nadal. Just don't tell Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually wanted to have like a, you know, a Federer, Nadal, Djokovic pod and just talk to three guys and just like talk about their careers and their differences and stuff. And we were like, you know what? It's going to be boring because it's like Djokovic is so clearly ahead. And like we kind of all know their differences in philosophy one is eastern european two are western and that's kind of why they've grown their fan bases the way they have you know and like Djokovic was always trying to catch up to them in terms of not just tennis but popularity as well like i think it just kind of all is self-explanatory for general tennis fans or like you know general reason-based people right so um yeah, we decided against it. So that that's this is, I guess, our little uh, rant to take take that pl- take the place of that. <laughs> so, um, all right, uh, back to the back to the draw. Uh, Thompson and uh, Vukic, um, another match of two Aussies. Man, uh, I know Brad. You're not very. You're not high on Vukic, right? You're you're kind of. No, I'm not a Vukic guy. Does not win enough points on return to get me excited. Okay, well, Greekspor got us excited. Greekspor wins more points on returns than Vukic. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. Probably right about that. Is he going to check it right now? <laughs> I am. I am. Now I'm nervous. Now I'm nervous. But I, I, I can't be wrong. Turn. Like, I'm thinking out of my ass, but I can't be wrong. Like, <laughs> I saw that turn and I was like, that's him looking it up. That turn, oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. <laughs> like, like, I, I can't it. be wrong, can I? Greeks for oh, 34%, 33.6. I think that still beats Vukic. Vukic, 32.7. Okay, Woo-hoo. all right. Closer than I thought. Closer than I thought. Closer than I thought, John. You're right. Closer than I thought, but I was right. That's what happens when I make no, assumptions, no, I, though. I didn't disagree. No, I wasn't even disagreeing with you. I... I, I would also say that he's a better returner, but I think Greek sport, I don't think people like credit enough, like, sorry, discredit his return game enough. Like a, another guy for his frame is like, he just doesn't win enough. He should win more. 
uh, on return. He's not like a bot. He's not the worst mover. I wouldn't say he's a great mover per se, but like, I don't understand why he doesn't do better than 33.7%. Like that's pretty Dude, low. He, can't for, make, he doesn't play good defensive shots. Especially the backhand when he gets on the run on the backhand, he's done. So is Vukic like the same player as Greek Sport, just a worse version? Like, is that how you equate like Vukic? Maybe statistically, but I think it's I don't think the styles are all that similar. Like, I think Greek Sport is more well-rounded. He just, like Brad said, he does have to improve. He doesn't know how to play. It's not that he doesn't defend well, she doesn't want to play defense. Everything is aggressive with him. If he could learn how to like not be in control of every single rally and play some some higher margin stuff on return, I think you would you would see him become much better. Whereas Vukic, I think, is more limited, right? I, I don't think he has that room to improve on return physically, if that makes sense. Uh yeah, I think I was gonna John, you pretty much stole my what gonna what I was gonna say, so we need to kick you off the pod for future pods. <laughs> um so I can speak more. <laughs> but um but uh uh, yeah, I think I think Vukic is much more centered on the serve and a little bit of the plus one, whereas Greeksport has just more of a good, like, a solid offensive game. But it's like, it's all offense. Um, whereas, like, Vukic, it's it's all, like, early point offense. Like, so it's it's a different kind of offense, but they're both, like, more offensive centered. Greeksport, because he has more tools in the bag, more clubs in the bag, is... Um, is is much better. So I'll basically, basically which is basically what John said. So sorry. So John. I think in this matchup with uh, Thompson, I think Thompson should be like a two game favorite, two and a half. That's kind of where I would see it priced. Right. I, I think it's another kind of stay away yeah. match. Is this a good overmatch? Like if you get an over that's anything below twenty three, this feels to me like an overmatch. I don't see a whole lot of breaks here with these two guys. It's a good look. Yeah, yeah. I, I that if there, I'm I'm with both of you here too. <laughs> like yeah. I was hoping more disagreements because it makes it makes discussions uh, more fun. But yeah. no, I'm with you. I think I I'm probably in the stay away camp. And if there was one look that I would think may intrigue me, it would it would probably be an over. So yeah, I think both those stakes are like even an over twenty three here might be playable. Like twenty three and a half, twenty four, no. But but a twenty three, an over twenty three look might be playable. I could see three sets here. I would just see. Yeah, I would sell off to the over two and a half sets then, which is almost always going to be a better price, right? You're almost yeah, always yeah. Plus five. But are yeah. you seeing high breaks though? Like I could see six and six. I could see you know that's. But then that's the thing too is like then you're like you you win a flip at plus money on each side. I, I guess you need it to it to go exactly right, but then you can play set overs. You could like there's different ways to attack it. I would I would prefer um, like over twenty three does need a very specific score line to cash in two sets right like seven six six four seven six seven five seven five seven five um you know the the way i've always thought of the over 23 is like you're like you like the the break even the the plus the the two and a half set line the over the three set line on this match will probably be plus 130 give or take which is which you need what a 43 percent i think that's 43 to 44 percent something like that to to cash a a 2.3 in european odds john I think that's like 43% to cash because yeah. 2.5 is 40. Um, whereas like you're over 23 would cash with, you'll probably get that like a minus 115. Um, so like a 1.80, I mean, yeah. 
So, so basically my point is, is you're basically taking, like, they're kind of the same line. You're basically taking the three set line either way. One, you give up, you know, 10 percentage points worth of odds and in exchange you win anyways. If you get a six and six, you don't get screwed over by like a six and six or a six and five. So. But the, the reason why I do like the over two and a half sets more is because the most common score lines in the sport, your six threes, your six fours, um, you, you probably need, you need three sets anyway, if one of those uh, is involved on a 23, 23 and a half. And I mean, your set, yeah, even like you need both sets to go seven, five or better, not just one. Like you can get your one tie break. You still need another of, you know, I don't hate the 23 though, because I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how often you get the seven, six, six, four push. But like, then, like, that's the thing too, is like, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, of like falling back on a push because if that's the case, if that's going to happen often enough, then there's no value to bet it. Right. So, I mean, I, I just prefer the two and a half sets. It's just the way I, like my mind is wired too. It's probably a limitation I have where I, I don't play a ton of totals in general sets or games, it's probably something I should explore to try and get better at, try and find another, another edge to exploit. But um, like, I would just prefer if, if I were to take one of this match, I probably go for the sets. Cause I don't think, I mean, Thompson has an underrated ability to hold serve, but I don't think it's, like, dominant at all. And I think Vukic does play sloppy service games far too often for me to really rely on on close sets enough. So if I if I want the over, I'm probably looking at more value on the three sets in this matchup. But over in some capacity, I I, I think that's a good look. I, I really... Yeah, the other thing I kind of like here is this is two Aussies. So it's a match where both like like this is a part of the schedule that both these guys should be interested in doing well. Yeah, both are going to be. I don't think motivation is going to be a problem here, by any means. Yeah, but we talked about this before. It's not just like pure motivation, right? It's like you can't peak for every single tournament. So for these guys who are ranked a little lower, right, you kind of have to pick a little bit where you're truly going to really try to peak. I feel like this is a place where both these guys wouldn't mind peaking. Yeah, like Vukic doesn't want to be like like peak Vukic on clay. I, mean, I peak either of these guys on clay is not going to be very good. So for these guys to like set their schedule up to try to peak on clay would be rather foolish. I'm sure they're not. This is probably like this like in addition to both being Australians, these are probably the best. They probably prefer grass, but next to grass, these are probably the best courts for them. Yeah, I would agree. And grass is only a month, so you could peak for this and peak for grass. And that's not a ridiculous thing to ask. Yeah. Boom Bear, guy who really came on the last four months of last year. Um, how? What do we think about Ugo? Is he a top twenty player now? I think his ranking is right around there. He he's twenty one or something. Could I mean, he had a off terrible 2022, and then he had a great year last year. I think there is a little bit of regression in store for him, but I think he's like in the twenty to thirty range. I don't think he's necessarily good enough to maintain top twenty. Per se. The only thing I'll say back to that Manny is he's a guy who's all he's another guy who's always had a lot of talent, but he just in the past went like a wall for like period like too long of periods of time, and yeah. that's why he would would have bad seasons, bad matches, bad tournaments, right? Um, so like there's there's a qualitatively speaking, there's a path here. Also, you're not too concerned about him getting hurt because he's just like very light on his feet and kind of like, you know, nimble. Like, so like, you know, he played four hours in challenger matches and stuff like that. And like got up and played the next day. Right. And like during that, those, those two, uh, 
wasn't it a clay 175 or something that he pulled out and won? Like he had a very good clay court season, which surprised me last year. I don't know if that's able to be replicated. You know, fast, hard. I think he's dangerous, but like I was surprised how well he did on clay last year. And, and keep in mind, it's not two, just two challenger titles that he won. It was two 175s, I believe, right. right? Yeah. Those are 350 points. I mean, that's like having to defend a, a 250 and a final out of 250 um, to maintain those points. So if he doesn't And play, will he, he, and will he even be allowed to defend those? Because I think if you're top 20, yes. you can't play challengers. No, no, it's 175. The 175s are different. They allow the, t- the top players to, to okay. play. Uh, they're, they are different that way. But the question is, will he? Because if you are a top 20, top 25 player, you may not feel the need to go down even to a, a, a higher level challenger to defend them. So if he doesn't play them, now just to maintain where he's at, he's got to make a 250 final elsewhere on the calendar and another final at a 250, I believe, to to make up the kind of 375 points um, or 350. Gosh, math. Math is hard. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but he's got to make up those 350 points elsewhere, right? So... That, to me, is the, the sticking point. It's not so much that I don't think – I think he did improve on Clay. I, can he defend them? Sure. But will he even be in those fields? That's the question I think I have most uh, regarding his, his Clay clay court season, more so than his ability to defend them is will he even try? And then can he make it up elsewhere? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like his game. I like watching him. I think he's actually an underrated competitor. Um, I think Jeremy Shardy has actually really helped him. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm wishing him well. I, I hope, you know, he, he does well. And like, I'll look to back him in spots for sure. Um, but I just think that there is some regression for sure. Um, this quarter is kind of open. Like, so, I mean, who, who do you like? Who's, who's the favorite in this quarter? Did the books make Nadal the favorite in this quarter? Oh, you know what? The books, but yeah, that, yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, there, there actually could be. If you can find a quarter price in Umber, you might get a good price because I have a feeling Nadal's going to take a lot more dollars out of this market oh, than he should. I think Karatsev is a dang, real danger matchup for Nadal because, like, just based on how big Karatsev hits the ball, he's going to be able to that punish that forehand and then open up that backhand corner. And he's not going to let Nadal off that back foot. So I actually, like, if I get Karatsev at plus money, I'm taking that against Nadal. I mean, I'm probably going to be up against, I would imagine, I would imagine just based off of what I've seen in the last couple of years, guys coming off of these long layoffs is usually not good the first match or two. With a name like Nadal, I would think you got to hammer against that the first couple rounds. Yeah, but there might be value here because of Nadal being in there. I, I don't know. But I, I I don't know. I just I, I think really... I think a um a Thompson look could be interesting here, depending on what kind of odds you get. If you get like you could I like if you get like really long odds, like twenty to one plus, I think a Thompson look could be interesting. He's got like the game to beat any of these guys on a quick hard play. I don't think he's I don't think he's better than fifty fifty in the last two matches, but I think he's like I think it's possible. He'll hold serve. And he has an underrated second serve. Thompson. So John, what do you think about Thompson's chances in this quarter? Eh, I mean, 
I don't love him to have to beat Umber and then and then like in a Dallas Karatsev back to back. But I mean, he, he's got a chance on quick courts for sure. What, what do you think of a Karatsev Nadal match? Like, do you, do you do you like my take on the on the Karatsev angle there? Yeah, I need more than like plus any plus money, but I would. Okay. He's a giant killer. Like we know that about yeah. Aslan. Yeah, he's got the game to do it. Right. That's the the whole thing about the volatility is as bad as he can be he also has the game to beat the best of the best when he comes yeah. up against them as we've seen so yeah i don't i don't mind uh karatsev at decent plus money against nadal i might just bet that because i can cheer against nadal for another reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll be all right. oh, i've been hammering anything against nadal not not from a like like a tennis fan perspective but just from uh I, I just i am i'm, I'm I'm bold bearish on the injury return. And then especially coming back first match after a year off. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be different. Match intensity is completely different. I know obviously Nadal knows how to play a professional tennis match, but you know, he hasn't done it in a year. Um, yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, bottom quarter here. Um, our, one of our favorites, uh, Thomas Martin Echeverry. I don't know how you can not like this guy. Um, just, grinder pure professional uh he'll play a qualifier lucky loser i wish we had a match to talk about him um then kokonakis and rinky another match between two aussies qualifier and lucky loser against altmeyer and then uh are we really getting this again murray against dimitrov Ugh, it's disgusting uh but uh let's what what, what do you uh think of echeverry's chances this year um I think he can find a way into the top. Where is he now? In the mid thirties, mid twenties, I think. Twenties. I mean, I'm rooting for the guy, so I hope he cracks the top twenty. I I really liked what I saw from him at the end of the year, like in Basel, like that was super impressive. You know, uh, I thought he improved a lot at the net. I think his back end needs to get a little better. Just uh, serve, I think, could improve a little bit. Just the, the kind of the placement and the plus one. Right? Like, I, I still feel like he builds the point up well with his forehand. But I think he can, if he can build this, the point up better off his serve, I think he would be more successful. The challenge is, like, I, I love Echeverry. I love, I think he's gotten a lot better at the net. Like, he, he looks, like, kind of competent up there, like, the past, the last couple months of the year. Um, I love what he's done with his game. The problem is, like, the top 20 tennis players are pretty good at tennis. Like, you start getting, like, into the Tommy Paul, TFO, like, we talked about Greeks poor, rude. Like, these guys are, like, pretty good tennis players. And, like, can Etch get to that level? I don't know. Whenever Um, you talk about, whenever you talk about these things with can they get to X ranking, the one thing that you have to also, that I think, it's obvious, but it's not that obvious because a lot of people don't really talk about it. That's exactly it. What what Brad's getting to there is someone's going to fall out. There are a lot of guys yeah. that might have the potential to get into these rankings, but like top 20 means there can only be 20 of them. And there's a <laughs> lot of good tennis players out there. Like the, the problem isn't just he, like, is his talent there as his surface versatility sure. continues to develop. I think he's going to have the ability to win points in a lot of places, but you know, who's dropping out if he's going to jump in? And that's exactly where I think, uh, you know, Brad hit that on the that nail on the head there. Okay. Um, Ray, Kokonakis and uh, Rinky. 
Uh, Kokonakis only plays well in Adelaide, right? He doesn't play well in Brisbane. That's his hometown. Yeah, Adelaide. Okay, Adelaide. So, okay. So he'll be the same old Kokonakis here, right? Uh, yeah, he's got, he's, he's, he's like the popular handicap for Brad, where I think he gets rushed and his return game isn't good enough on quick hard courts. And like, if he gets broken, he has a really tough time fighting his way back into sets. And Rinky's the guy we saw during grass season. Like that game can play up a bit, man. It's this kind of reminds me of his his handicap for the O'Connell popular match, right? Like this yeah. is one where I think Rinky, if I'm gonna get, I, I'm almost certainly gonna get plus money. I'd be stunned if they if they price this one up properly. Mm-hmm. But if I get this, is where I go any plus money. I think Rinky anything below fifty percent of the implieds, I'm gonna absolutely take. And the higher that price gets, the bigger the bet will be. Right, because obviously, yeah. I mean, I would love. I think you might get Rinky at a one fifty. Like, a, I think you really might. And I, I'm I, with you. I think we will too. And I think that's really, really looking pretty good. Um, yeah, I do. I do want to make a, a distinction between Poprin and Kokonakis. Um, I think that whereas, um, whereas Poprin can still be decent on slow courts because, like, while he's sloppy, he's interested. I don't think Kokonakis is really interested in long rallies. Like he's he's not quite like the clown level of a bublik, but he <laughs> he doesn't love to like he he does not love to play long rallies, and so I think he needs the quicker courts because he needs to get the points done with done with. Um, so like this is his time to succeed if he's gonna succeed. The problem is I do I do like Rinky in this matchup. I, I do think the the quick game on quick courts, Rinky's game plays up. That little Rinky Dinky. And it's great that his name is Rinky because <laughs> he really is pretty dinky for a tennis player. Like Rinky Dinky is not a bad nickname. <laughs> Rinky Dinky. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Compared to other pro tennis players, as Manny and I said on the very first pod we ever did, like all these guys are gods. Like, if you put me on a court, I'm not hitting anywhere near as big as Rinky Chikata. So, like, I'm not <laughs> yeah, saying that compared to other regular humans, he's a he's a dinky player. But compared to, like, Tanasi Kokonakis or other ATP pros, yeah. What was that, what was that survey that, like, 60% of the people thought that they could win a game against an ATP player? Including, <laughs> <laughs> like, 50% of people, like, over the age of 50. <laughs> Wild, just just laughable. Just yeah, laughable. if I play Rinky, I, I'm, I'm know, losing love and love. I'll put, I'm willing love to put to that know, on the record. I would love to know what if they if they did that for WTA players would be like. <laughs> do, do we have? Does that number like how many people actually think? Because I think it's well known and it's not like a controversial thing to say. It's just they statistically they hold serve less they don't have like the raw power or as big power uh john i think if you talk to like non-tennis fans i think you're wrong like i think if you talk to casual casual tennis people i think there's a lot of people out there who who actually think that the wta is like close to on par with with men's tennis which like if you watch enough tennis doesn't really make sense but i i wouldn't be surprised for you to pull like that and it came out more more similar than you think Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm like, geez, if 60% of people are that diluted, like, I don't think I could win a match against a professional female player, um, or sorry, like win a game, sorry, game against a lot of some of the, the better players on the WTA circuit. I know I could like, no, I'm not winning a game against Serena Sabalenka or, or Lena Bachner, even like players in like Diana Yastremska. I'm not winning a game. Oh, no. It's most likely. Unless There's I'm like, UTR, no, like I'm not, teams. I'm not. 
like so and, and the atp is a bit tougher yeah it's it's just it's tougher with the way they're serving like who who are these 60 percent of people who like are you are you bad you're not winning a game against like a 400th ranked player in the world let alone an atp oh, I mean, i've actually i've role. actually played against guys that were like you know guys who are like a couple years removed from like low level futures like had a couple of atp points two years ago these guys are insane yeah. Like, like I, the, and the one match I got double bagel, the other match I got one game. Like, these guys, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a decent, I'm, I'm better than 60% of amateur tennis players. 10, 10, 9, 9.5, 10, right? In that, I'm, I'm a bit around a 9. So, yeah, like, I'm a decent, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a halfway those are, decent those are amateur. 16s, like the guys. Yeah. Right? The yeah. ladies are 14s. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's laughable. It's comical. Anyways, all off this but, subject, because I, like, a, it's embarrassing, and B, like, I don't need somebody who watches, who who then wants to debate how good of a tennis player that I am with me who watches the stream. Actually, one guy I know actually did watch this and commented on it, so. <laughs> I don't need him coming okay, gotta... on and talking about how my, and being like, Brad, you actually suck way worse than you think, so. I think this will be a family play, plus money on a rinky, rinky yeah. game. So, uh, but Kokonakis, I, I don't know. I, I classify him kind of as a clown because the amount of times he's choked matches is just like, I, I, it's crazy. I, he's just not I disciplined. Like, at least with Bublik, I think it's like, I'm starting to think he just like actively doesn't care and knows he can make money regardless. I don't yeah. think Kokonakis has the mental discipline. I don't think so. And he, he needs the Aussie crowd because without that external boost, he's totally screwed. Like, he can't do it by himself, you know? And like and- he's cut, he's cut from the curious mold without the talent. That's what he is. Well, that's why him and Kyrgios are best bros. Exactly, but Kyrgios has the talent. And Coco- over under on number of uh, over under zero point five on number of uh, Nick Kyrgios's OnlyFans videos, Kokonakis ends up in. <laughs> uh- I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a stay away from you, John. <laughs> <laughs> stay, stay away uh can i do a quarter unit <laughs> you can go a quarter unit an eighth of a unit whatever you want <laughs> all right quarter unit on the over all right. <laughs> uh all right last match is dimitrov and murray uh we saw this uh at the u.s open and it was a complete beatdown. Uh, we saw this a couple times last year didn't we did we see this more yeah, than once i feel like we saw this two or three times like, i feel like we see this so often this matchup and like they always want it to be good and it never is, you know, like the, the viewing public and stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think again, there's some, there's some regression with Dimitrov here. I mean, Dimitrov had a very underrated year last year. Um, I, I don't think that can go unnoticed, uh, but Murray, I mean, you said it, Brad, on multiple pods, like you think he's just done, right? Like, well, I guess I'm going to caveat that, right? Like, if he's going to make a miraculous, like, he was, like, he actually looked kind of okay the beginning of last year. He made the final at Doha. Um, I think he had a decent, he made, I mean, he got, he look, he won a couple of five-setters, but he did make it through to the third round of the Aussie. So, like, he was kind of decent in the beginning of last year, and then the wheels just completely came off second half of the year. Yeah. With a month off, like, if he's going to make a resurgence, this would be the place. So I don't know. It's a really tough match for him in round one. I don't think he's going to, you know, I, it'd be hard to imagine he comes through, but 
I, you might see a better Murray here than you did at least the last, like, you know, the, during the last four to five months of last year with a little bit of a break. I really wish you could bet the over on time in this match. You know, because well, like you this, make a Grand Slam final, and then well, you'll be able to get the over on time. Yeah, I know, but this could be like six three six two and go like two hours. Problem. The problem right? is the market. The market wouldn't be that inefficient because everyone knows Murray plays long matches. Though that's the thing is that's Murray's true. like the line's gonna start at over two, well over two hours. It's just that's what Andy Murray does these days. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Um. I, I think this is a stay away. I think Dimitrov is going to be like a three game favorite in that area. And I just think like, there's just going to be no value anywhere. Gregor passed for me. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I don't want any part of this. Cause I, Murray could be done. Like, I think Murray, like I really don't want too much of a part of Murray matches for at least a few weeks. Cause he could be done or he could have like a little bit left in the tank to try to make a push for another month or two. Like, cause I, I think that the second half of this year is going to be a disaster, but he might he might have a little bit in the tank. Like if he's gonna have it in the tank, it's gonna be now. Yeah. James McCabe, remember the name, baby. Plus one thirty seven first. Uh, plus one thirty seven one and a half sets just cash. We are now in the profit for the match. I got a plus four fifty at bet three six five there against Dommy team. Holy Woo, crap! Baby. He just won six two the first set against team. Damn. Yeah. But this is, what is I'm that saying. a qualifier for Brisbane? Yeah. But this is what I'm saying. Team, uh, team was what a five and a half game favorite today against McCabe. Was he five and a half? Wow. Something like that. Five, maybe. Yeah, that's four, insane. Four and a half. So that's, that's insane. Like, if it's more than four, just like take the games with these like early qualies. I, I already got a plus one thirty seven cash that, on those sets, true. and it's guaranteed. If he loses six one six one now, you're you're good. I'm okay. You're okay. I mean, I have the money yeah. line as well. I don't want him to lose six one six one. But it's possible. But the profit is in. The, the, the full unit play is in yeah. for me. I'm happy. And Do I'm I like, still... I love James McCabe on quicker courts, man. I, yeah. I He had one beat down against James Duckworth, but he also had one, like, really competitive. Or is that Coleman? No, I'm thinking of Coleman Wong. But, dude, James McCabe and his serve, like, don't don't underestimate the young Aussie kid on, on quicker courts. This is where Challenger Tour watching can come into play because Dommy team, I still think he was a bit snake bitten last year. The results weren't there. The quicker courts have never been his favorite or his best friend um, in terms of his style. And, and James McCabe does prefer them on home soil, undervalued, not, a, you know, relatively unknown to market. And there was a little edge to be had. So I'm uh, nice. pretty happy with that. Nice. Well, anyway, right, we, uh, we we talked uh, two, what, two hours and 15 minutes without any lines. So I think we... it was an hour and a half. I don't think we started this up yeah, until like an hour and a half. Hour and 40. Okay. Hour hour when we do have lines, it's probably going to be like four and a half hours. <laughs> That's a which goes longer, our pods or an Andy Murray five set match? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we, we Manny, we are the Andy Murray of of podcasts. We are, we are. Well, that's good. I mean, he's a top. What you could argue, he's a top ten player of all time, right? The game, the game bet Murray. That's a, that's our new oh, name. Our new name, the Game Bet Murray podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, well, then we wouldn't be copying the Bet River guys. So maybe right. Then we could be. Then we could still keep GBM. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, so th- this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure we'll do this uh, as the year goes on. Uh, we look forward to hearing you on uh, the John, end. But before you log off, John, is there anything, you know, thanks for being on as a guest again. And uh, is there anything you want to talk about? Any any kind of the work that you do that you want to talk about um, before we head off? No, for me, it's just, you know, uh, I'm handicapping away. I do my stuff for, you can find me at Tidbits Tennis where I post the bets. So, you know, all my... Uh, my articles will be up there and I'm, I'm not releasing all my bets this year. I've decided not to, um, uh, as I try and scale up my own betting, but, uh, I, I am still going to do anything that, uh, I'm paid to write. I'll, I'll release bets for, and obviously on, on match point nine, uh, MP nine with Dave, I'll, I'll give out some plays there as well. Uh, and that we're going to do our Brisbane episode and Hong Kong episode tomorrow. So it won't, you know, we were talking about not overlapping. I think you guys should overlap. I mean, if they're different podcasts, you should have your takes on, on this stuff too, but that at least won't have overlap either. Right. Because we'll, we'll probably be talking prices once they're out rather than hypothetical. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for me. Cool. Cool. Well also feel free to join us on the discord. I saw you, uh, you joined us there. So we, you know, that's, that's also awesome. And uh, if you want to post one or two picks, we'd love to see it. We'd probably all tell you. So. I think I mentioned McCabe in there. I think I, when someone posted a parlay that had team in it, I go, I don't know. That's a little. That's a little much for Tommy team for me. I, I like McCabe. I think he's one to watch. So I had a hint in there. There was a nice. hint in the pod, in the in the Discord. Nice. All right, guys. Ha- have a good night. We'll uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, All everyone. Right.